Philippians chapter 2, and look at there. Paul says here, If there be therefore any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any bowels and mercies, fulfill ye my joy, that ye be like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. Let nothing be done through strife or vain glory, but in lowliness of mind let each esteem other better than themselves. Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. We're going to concentrate on those verses today. What amounts to what I believe Paul's teaching is the need for selfless Christianity. Christianity with less self in it. Um, I had I had been um, benefited by. I've mentioned this to you, but I've been benefited as a Christian just reading and hearing testimonies from um, different martyrs and different other Christians around the world, and reading about as I've mentioned before, Voice of the Martyrs magazine some some uh, articles and reports that they had. And this last week I listened to a testimony. The testimony was from some of the voice of the martyr workers that were, had traveled to some other uh, countries. Voice of the Martyrs is basically a Christian organization that helps um, keep the rest of the world, particularly Americans, informed about suffering Christians around the world and, and Christians that are dying around the world, to keep us American Christians uh, aware of what Christianity looks like in some other places. And so I listened to a testimony of some of the workers that came back. Now, this was recorded a few years ago, but it's still um, helpful. And I read how that there was a Basically, it was a man, and it was one of the countries in Africa that was, <clears throat> not all African countries are like this, but one of them was pretty oppressive to, in fact, it was one of the Muslim countries. It's pretty oppressive to Christians, and, you know, they'll kill, they'll, like nothing, kill a whole Christian village or slaughter Christians, particularly the Muslims. And um, there was one pastor who went through a lot of stuff and uh, was put in prison. And uh, God just used him in this prison. <laughs> Next thing you know, he's got a lot of other believers in this prison, people he's convert, saw converted. And, and he was beat there, too. And he did, they just watched how he responded to his hardship. And uh, it was influential on other people, even on some of the other Muslims. Uh, but what I'm trying to tell you is this man, this I don't know his name. I can't remember. I have to go back and listen to the testimony. But this Christian pastor in this one oppressive African country uh, ended up getting freed. He ended up coming over here to the United States some years ago. Came over to the United States, and uh, it wasn't everything that he expected. He thought, oh, a Christian nation, you know. And he comes over, what is wrong with these people? Very carnal, worldly, and what they're lavish and, and materialistic, and it just shocked him. Because, you know, the, the missionary, the Americans that he meets in Africa are the good ones. They're usually the Christian missionaries, you know. So he comes over to the country, like, what's going on? Well, he visited different people, and he kind of got the attention of some 
Christian circles and Christian leaders, this particular pastor. And he, he had got the attention of the leadership of the TBN, the Trinity Broadcasting Network. Now, I don't know that they put him on TV, but he didn't know anything about them. He was like, okay, Paul and Jan Crouch, who's that? Okay, want to meet with me? And apparently I heard that they, he met with them and they were amused by him and just so intrigued by this pastor who had suffered so many things and yet stood for Christ and went through prison and saw people saved and was miraculously released. And they were just amused with him. And they sat down and, and uh, talked to him. And he sat down in there and was in their facilities in their studio looking around. Gold-plated piano, gold-plated this, jewels and lavish this and that. It's like, where did I, did I find myself in the... England here, you know, some the king's court, and he's looking around, and it, it, it upset him. And he stuck his finger out and rebuked Paul and Jan Crouch. Like, what are you doing with this stuff? What is this? Do you know what people are suffering in Africa? Do you know that there's Christians that they could, you know, they're, he was just, he rebuked them. They listened and they heard it. I don't think they changed, but and it and it just when I heard the testimony, I kind of already knew that was kind of the. By the way, we are a non-TBN type of people. We're non-charismatic. Not that we, you know, not that there's, <clears throat> you know, nobody ever. There, there, there's it's kind of a mixed mixed bag there on TBN, but we're not that. That's not our style. Um, but it just spotlight the fact that we are very selfish in our Christian style. Well, in our, in our American life, in our American mode, we live very self-feeding lives, don't we? We're very selfish as Americans, and even if you're not a Christian, we're very self-centered. We have our stuff, our accounts, our settings. We have all that. We're very tailored to self. You know, you can get in the car, and I know, you know, you get in the car, and like, I have my setting for my seat, and my setting for my AC. And I'm not saying it's bad in and of itself to have that stuff, but it's just little, throughout our life, we are so tailored to self. And our Christianity is very, not, this isn't particularly ours, we're not TBN here, but even, even, in this, in our church, we can become very self-centered. What's me? What's a, what do I get here? What did I get? What's in it for me? We get very self-focused, and Paul is Paul is teaching against this in chapter two, verses one to five. But he even actually crowns this teaching by putting here. So we're going to explore what Paul's saying here today. Let's notice how his opening statement here. We're going to learn some, we're going to learn some points related to, I have seven points related to selfless Christianity, okay? We'll see if we get through them today. But the first point that's related to selfless Christianity, which is expected, God expects us to be, is that God is the basis for teaching us to be selfless. What we see in God Himself is the basis for us being selfless and therefore caring to somebody else. Here we go. Watch verse 1. Listen to the, what it says. Paul says, he's right in his church, if there be any... 
Now, the, when he says if, 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 you know what the way that's constructed? It's since. So if this is how it is, is what he's saying. The word is the same as saying since it's like this, and he's going to tell us four points of God's care by way of a question, by way of a uh, kind of this, this statement. If there be any consolation in Christ, if, if that be the case, wait a minute, is there consolation in Christ? What is that saying? Is there, oh man, I feel, I have a measure of comfort, the fact that I'm in Christ. You know, in God's eyes, I get to go to heaven, the pastor, not because he's the pastor, not because of that, or he's some other positive thing you might see. I get to go to, I get to, go to heaven because I'm in Christ. I put my faith in him, and God sees me as safe inside my son who already took the brunt of your punishment. I'm in Christ. Whoo, I got consolation. There's consolation in Christ from that standpoint. There's consolation in Christ in that, you know, he's my friend, and he's with me. Is there consolation in Christ? Yeah. If there be, okay, if there be consolation in Christ. If there be any, what does it say, comfort of love. I get comfort, and I think you do, when you think about God's love. The Bible says the love of God is, of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost which is given us to us. I believe what that means is that you know the fact that God loves you by the fact that He said he, that He dwells in you through His Holy Spirit. And I think there's points where the, you literally can, God will literally make you feel loved by His Holy Spirit. It's kind of like He nudges like, hey, kid, I love you. Don't forget that. The, so there's consolation in Christ. If there be any comfort of love, oh, there's comfort of, of, of knowing I'm loved by Him. Notice what else. If, there, if, if any fellowship of the Spirit, now, some of us were like, this is kind of a weird statement here. Well, it's just talking about the fact that, again, the Holy Spirit, if you're saved, the Holy, His Spirit dwells in you, and it's like He's your, he's your, com- he's your coach. He's your built-in coach. The coach is inside. The Bible says He's called the comforter. The Greek word is a paraclete. It's the para means one alongside you, coaching you next to you. But in this case, He's actually in us. He's the inside coach. We get to talk and commune with Him and fellowship. I have this sense, and you should have this sense if, if you've been a Christian any length of time, where you're like, you kind of sense the Holy Spirit just kind of saying something to you, and you're like, oh, okay, yeah, that's true. Ah, you need to go do this. Oh, yeah, that's true. Ah, you know, He comforts you. He coaches you. He teaches you. Yeah, is there any fellowship of the Spirit? Yes, yes, I have that. If you're saved, you have that. If any bowels and mercies, unusual phrase for us, bowels and mercies, that phrase means um, affectionate, deep affections, and discovering of God's mercy. Is God very merciful to you? Uh, Brother Derek touched on that today in Psalm 51. Is there any mercy? You know, I, I've just, at points in my life, I'm like, man, I deserved a, I deserved a whooping from God. And I can, he didn't give it to me, and I just sense like it's, it's kind of like he's going, let me off the hook this time, boy type of thing, and I'm getting mercy from God, and God gives me His affection and His mercy. So here's what I'm saying, or here's what I'm, Paul's saying, really, he's saying, hey, look, look what he, look, he's saying, if, if, if you, if God is the one who can, there's consolation in Christ, and, and there's comfort of His love, and fellowship of His Spirit, and bowels and mercies, that is, if God's affectionate toward you, 
If it be the case that God is so loving and caring for you, then, and then he proceeds to teach selfless Christianity. In other words, because God is good to me, he, wants, he needs to be good through me. Paul's going on, in other words, Paul's not saying, okay, people, now let's be nice to one another. Let's be good to one another. Let's be a good neighbor. He doesn't teach that disconnected to the character of God. If he teaches, whenever the Bible, if the Bible teaches a moral thing to do, it's in connection to Christ or the very nature of God himself. So the basis of me, as we think about being a selfless Christian, selfless Christian, the basis of any of this stuff, well, God's good to me, so that's where we're going to start. God is very kind to me, very caring to me, so I'm going to start there. And if I'm going to exert myself trying to be selfless and not self-centered, I'm going to start with the thought that God is good to me. Paul says, fulfill you my joy that you like my... The whole idea of fulfilling, he goes, let's complete this picture here. You know God's good to you, so what would really thrill me, I know already God's good... What would really just top it all off for me is if I see that you're good to each other and to others. That would top it all off to me. So the first point in developing a selfless church and in selfless Christianity would be uh, it begins with the nature of God. Being selfless begins with recognizing God's nature toward me. Secondly, selfless Christianity is is developed as we pursue local church unity. Local church unity. We want, let me just again pause and just keep and drive home this thought of the idea of being selfless. And I'll come back to the idea of unity. I read, how many of you have heard of Ernest Shackleton? Anybody heard of Ernest Shackleton? Raise your hand, let's see. Oh, got to hear about Ernest. The, the, South, the North Pole Explorer from whatever it was, 100 years ago. Oh, man, this guy. Ernest Shackleton, I don't think he was the first to get there. He was like maybe the second. But he, he had an ex- expedition to the North Pole. Incredible story. IMAX made a, a whole thing about it one time. It was, it was really neat. You have to see it. Um, and it gives kind of the idea. And he took the ship. I, I, he recruited, I think, 20-something guys. Basically, when he recruited these guys, he's basically put out a paper that says, wanted men, perilous journey, it's going to be hard, difficult, you might not even survive, you're going to be gone for a long time. I mean, he made the appeal very non-American, you know, like, this is going to be hard and you might not make it. Do you want to come? And some and people appealed, and people, or people responded. And I think it was around 20-something guys he took on his expedition to the North Pole. I think, I believe his ship was called the Endurance. And I'm trying to give you kind of the gist of it, that they went up there trying to get to the North Pole, and they got stuck in ice. And sometimes you get stuck in ice, and you wait, and it releases, and you're able to get... They, it was like months and months and months. And like they had to, long story short, they had to abandon ship. The ice was actually coming in and crushing their ship, the Endurance. And it's an amazing lesson in, in leadership and some other things. But um, Ernest Shackleton, I may read some of this to you. Um, he was called the boss by his men. He was the leader. And, but, as he, but the way he conducted himself, he did not differentiate himself from them. They knew he was the leader. 
but the way he treated them was a little different. He said, um, let me read some of this. Shackleton ensured that neither he nor his officers, he had some officers, received preferential treatment as they're in kind of the survival mode. Now, some of these guys, they had dogs, they had um, supplies, they had different things, and they just had to make do with what they got. They had rations they went through. They would play games out on the ice. He, he got them kind of in a routine. Uh, the, the way the story went was they ended up having to send a few guys on a, on a boat to Elephant Island and something else and get some help, and they ended up getting out, but it was a tough deal. But while they're kind of learning to survive in this deal, uh, Shackleton said, they, well, one of the guys reports, they said, we cast lots for the sleeping bags. Now, they had apparently enough sleeping bags for all 20-something guys, but there were 18 really good sleeping bags. There were um, leather sleeping bags. It was basically of the um, uh, fur bags. Those are better. And then they had some that were wool. But they had 18. He said, we cast lots. This is one of the, one of the rank and file guys. Says, we cast lots for these. And um, he says, man, I'm so glad I got the, I got the, I got the, uh, the leather one because it kept you more warm. And then another guy says, but there was something, there was something, and he's saying this facetiously, there was something crooked, some crooked work in the drawing of these lots. Because Sir Ernest, Mr. Wilde, some of the captains, Captain Worsley, and some of the other officers all happened to draw wool sleeping bags. The fine, warm fur bags all went to the men under them. Yeah, they fixed the lots there. In other words, Shackleton and his officers, there wasn't probably that many, made sure they got the, the, the worst ones and their men got the best ones. They served them. Shackleton says that in addition to, in his attempt to get his crew to uh, adjust to the trauma of having to abandon the endurance, their ship, uh, he personally served his men. He rose up early in the morning, he made hot milk, and he hand-delivered it to every tent in the camp. And I remember reading about this, I think I saw a, kind of a, docudrama about this little scene right here I'm going to describe to you. But um, they said Shackleton's selflessness spread to his other men. And they said um, while his men were suffering from the most terrible deprivation, they often rose to his example and showed tremendous compassion for each other. Here's an example. When First Officer Lionel Greenstreet spilled his milk, on the, his much-needed milk, on the ice, he seemed almost despondent over the loss. See, what happened was that there was like a group of them in a, one of their tents. I think it was about eight, eight guys in a tent. And they got a certain portion. I mean, they're rationing. A certain portion of food, a certain portion of milk, whatever. They rationed. Everybody got their portion, and this one guy, this one officer, spilled his. Don't cry over spilled milk. Well, if you're going to die, maybe you would. And he spilled it. And they say that everybody got real quiet because they were kind of all in the tent. And the guy that spilled it got pretty despondent. 
But everybody silently grabbed this cup, hand started, they didn't say a word, just handed it all around the other guy, everybody put a little bit of milk in their cup, much needed for them, into his and filled his back up. And um, they said, you know, we learned from a selfless example. That, see, that type of mentality, it's like, well, they needed to do that to survive. We should do that just to be normal. We should have that type of selflessness. And Paul here, back to the text, Paul's teaching that. He's teaching, hey, selfless, to learn selflessness, we look at God. Look, at, if God's consoling to us, He loves me, He fellowships with me. Okay, then. And then Paul proceeds to teach it from the footing of who God is. The second point, again, what's Paul teaching? The second point, and I didn't elaborate on it yet, but is that we should pursue or that we learn selflessness by trying to be unified as a local church. Selflessness is developed as we try to unify as a local church. In fact, being unified in the right way is a token of being selfless. Look what it says. Okay, verse um, to fulfill you my joy that you be like-minded. Having now like my now the next few things are descriptions. What, what does that mean? Well, you have the same love, having the same love, being of one accord, of, of one mind, local church unity. By the way, look, I this is a this is called the book of Philippians, is written to a local church. Paul appeals to local churches to be unified. There is not an emphasis in the Bible of, hey, all you churches, you all need to just all just get along and get together and just, just be the same. Just, just people are so divided nowadays, man. Just, we just all need to get together and be all the same. You know, that's kind of a weird thing. That's never said in the Scripture. I'm not saying we should all be like enemies with other churches. I'm not saying that. I'm saying when the Bible teaches unity and when it's taught to be unified in the Bible, the focus is unified with the people you got. Get unified with your own local church. I, you know, I know other brothers around here, and I'm happy, and we fellowship with them. But I don't have to work on you know, trying to be palsy with everybody. I don't. I, 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 I can be, but my, our job, your job is to, hey, do we get along good? Are we unified here? That's the focus. It's local church unity is the focus. And if we keep that as a focus, it'll probably keep us out of trouble in some other areas. So Paul's talking about local church unity, and it's, it's a token of, of selflessness. It's, a way to, it's also, I think, also a way to learn selflessness. All right, got to try to be of the... What's this guy's mind? i got to learn to be of his mind here. What, what's this guy love? i got to learn to be kind of relate with what he loves. Now, look, this is, t- this is presuming it's a right mind and it's a good love and that we're not unified around something sinful or around something false. We want to be unified around the things that God teaches, the truth of God, the gospel, the great commission, things that are clear in the Bible. We want to unify around that. We want to unify around even around specific things that we want to do. You know, we're uh, on the property, developing our property or doing an event here at the church and or a revival meeting, or an outreach. When we have them, we ought to be like, all right, let's get together. Let's do this together. Don't let it just be Pastor's Project or Brother Derek or, yeah, guys, I hope you're doing well. No, let's all be of the same mind in a right thing. A.W. Tozer is a good author. See if I can find this thing here. 
I have to bring quotes of people with more fertile minds here than mine. Bringing in the guest speaker today, listen to what A.W. Tozer said. Has it ever occurred to you that 100 pianos all tuned to the same fork are automatically tuned to each other? They, of are, they are of one accord by being tuned not to each other, but to one standard to which each, must, each one must individually bow. You get a tuning fork, you get this piano is, is aligned with this fork. This piano, get it aligned with this fork, and, and so on. Then all those pianos, therefore, are, are tuned to each other, he says. So also 100 worshipers meeting together, each one looking away from themselves but to Christ are in heart actually nearer to, the, to each other than they could have possibly been were they to become unity conscious and turn their eyes away from God in order to strive for unity outside of God. Okay, so here we are, selfless Christianity. It's about, you know, learning to be unified together. Sometimes selfish people, they don't want to get along. I'm not going to work with them. Now you're a selfish person. It takes, a ma- it takes an element of selflessness to get along with the team. Number three, another component of selfless Christianity is, notice this, is to put away self-promotion. Look at verse three. Let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, but in lowliness of mind. Let each esteem other better than themselves. That first part, let nothing be done through strife or vainglory. What is that talking about? He's saying, do not strive. Let nothing. It's kind of a, a negative here, the first phrase. Let nothing be done through strife or vainglory. Don't do stuff through a, a, a scrap and a fight. Um, I hope that our nothing that we do in our church is through a big fight. There's churches that they, be, they started because of a strife. They started because of a big split. It says, let nothing be done through strife or vainglory. Vainglory is, is selfish ambition. The word comes from a political word. means to campaign for yourself. Vainglory. The whole, the whole thing here is talking about being like a trash talker and provoking people and stirring people up. Let nothing be done through strife or vainglory. Selfish ambition, self-promotion. My, um, when I was younger, a younger dad, we lived in Chandler, and the house we had, it was a smaller house, but it actually, we had a large couch in our house that's kind of L-shaped, and I'd, sometimes I'd sit on the couch in the evening, and the end of it, the couch would kick up the feet, and I'd sit there, and um, maybe like, okay, it's you know, later, so I'm going to catch the news and the sports highlights, and so I'd sit down. And uh, two of my younger ones uh, at the time, it was actually Gideon and Susie. It's funny. Um, when they saw me sit down on that couch, it's a blessing. They, wa- they wanted to cuddle with Daddy. Which, that's good. I'll take it. I'll take it. I mean, Gideon doesn't want to cuddle anymore, but, but uh, <laughs> that's okay. That's, that's how it ought to be. All right? So I'd sit down, and they'd want to cuddle with Daddy on the big comfy couch and watch the sports highlights, you know. And so I'd sit down, and what would happen is if they're playing, they're playing around in the living room. Yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, and then when they see Dad sit down, they would both race over to me. And they'd try to jump to get to the, to the good spot right here, you know. And they would race over to get to that. Gideon would try to beat Susie, Susie, and they'd try to jump over there. And then it got to the point where if I'm walking around, 
and, uh, and I'd go to sit down. They'd see me, and I'd sit down, and they'd run, and one of them would go, me, 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 me. And the other one would go, me, 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 me. And they would literally say that, me, 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 me. <laughs> All right, me, me's, come on over. And so, you know, it's just that the whole idea of me, <laughs> selfish. And Paul's saying, let's fight against that. Let's fight. Let nothing be done through a fight. The next thing, number four, notice uh, the, next, the, la- the next part of the verse. What does it say? Man, this just sounds so good. i got to be this tough. Let, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem other better than themselves. Oh, Paul, you expect us to be Christians. Man, that's right. He expects us to be a Christian. So how am I supposed to be? The ne- this next point is basically saying, esteem other people better than yourself. That's a point of learning. That's a point of, of, of learning selflessness. How do you regard other people? Esteem means what value. You know, has anybody ever had to put, give an estimate to stuff? An estimate? My dad would have to give estimates to, to, to damage on cars. Anybody ever have to do... You know, uh, does anybody ever have to appraise something where you give a value of it? Anybody? Okay, some people have to, you know, we had an appraisal, appraise this property a few years ago. And I'm sure it's changed for the better since, but uh, it's talking about let everybody appraise the other person higher value than you. Whoa. Well, how do I do that? Well, you got to have a lowly mind first. In lowliness of mind, let each esteem other better than themselves. Lowliness of mind means first you've got to have a humble opinion of yourself. And then you esteem others, the, the people near you. And I think, again, the main context is local church. Quit, we can't, I can't get to the point where I think I'm more valuable than somebody else in this church. You can't get to the point where you think you're more valuable. Hey, I'm more important than that guy. He doesn't even come all the time. I probably give more. So what? Paul didn't say, well, th- well, if you give more, then that's different. You're excluded from this. No, he says, let each of you esteem other better than themselves. What is he saying? It's saying like what one guy said. One guy said, if we, if I consider you above me and you consider me above you, then a wonderful thing's going to happen in our church. Everybody's going to be looked up to, and nobody's going to be looked down at. And that's the point. So we don't need to have where we're all looking down at somebody. It's like we're all like, hey, you're a valuable brother. You're a valuable sister. Esteem other better than themselves. Notice again, it says, let each of you. Let each. Each. I'm glad that he said that. The Bible do you ever get to the point, I get like this. We get to where we, we criticize the big picture. The culture's so bad. Somebody needs to change the culture. Go change the world. I'm going to change the world. No, just change yourself, please. And your underwear, too. It's probably dirty. I tell my kids that. Dude, I love you. Don't change anything. Just change your underwear. Sorry. People get to where, like, I'm going to change the world. We need to change, and then when people get the other, in the negative way, it's like, um, Christianity is so bad, man. People just need to do this and that. 
But Paul's saying, hey, you know what? You be this. Each of you esteem other better than themselves. Quit worrying about the Christian culture. I need to learn to deal with me and my problems and you and help you and be, be the, the loving brother I need to be to you. And if the, if the culture, if 100,000 of us do that, then the culture is going to take care of itself. Paul says, let each of you esteem other better than themselves. As I just read about the whole Shackleton, I mean, look what they did. They, there was 18 sleeping bags. We cast lots for them. Shackleton and the officers didn't get him. And he thought that the lot casting was fixed. It was fixed. He did it on purpose. He esteemed his younger guys, his, uh, the, young, the guys under him, not so much younger, above him. What else does the Bible teach here about selfless Christianity? All right, Paul, let us have it. Well, he says the next thing is, Number five, look not every man on his own things, but also on the things of others. How, look how others are doing. Don't just look at your own deal. Don't just know your own life well. And it's not talking about being snooping around at everybody's social media page. Ooh, I saw this. Ooh, I saw that. Ooh, I saw that. No, it's talking about take interest, sincere interest in other people's lives, not just your own. That's a token of being a selfless person. That's a that's a, a practice of a selfless Christianity. How are you? Look not. The word look here means to observe, to contemplate. It's good to ask how somebody else is doing. And maybe then to pull them aside when nobody else is around and ask them again. How are you doing? Look not every man on his own things. Every man also on the things of others. By the way, okay, so what is this teaching? It's teaching part of being a selfless Christian is just to pay attention and help other people's issues, not just your own. But under that thought is this. You do have to take care of your issues. Look not every man on his own things, but every man also, the word also means you have to deal with both of those. I have to deal with my own issues. I have to deal with my own health, my own finances, my own family, my own relationship challenges. I have to look on those things. I have to look at those things. I have to deal with them. I am obligated to. to. You must look at your finance, look at your relationships, look at your stuff you're trying to manage in your life, look at them and deal with them, but look also on somebody else's. Again, this is the American way as me, myself, and I get out of my, I don't care about you. The government will probably help you. Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. In my home, in your family, you have your space, your clothes. In your neighborhood, you have your driveway, your yard. In your church, you have your seat, your ministry, and your cares. Well, in your home, you have your space, your clothes, your food. But don't just look at that. What about the other person's clothes? My wife got this thing about dissing somebody else's dryer stuff. Hey, somebody's stuff is in the dryer. Don't just go throwing it in the basket unfolded and move your stuff along. My wife said, you better fold that stuff. Uh-huh, yeah. That's right. She didn't quote the verse, but I could have. That's right, kids. Look not every man on his own laundry, but every man also on mine. <laughs> just kidding. Yeah. 
But that's where, this is where this stuff gets applied and taking something out of a dryer, right? Yeah, okay. And, you know, don't look at your own little meal you made, but maybe somebody else could. Why don't you throw an extra hot dog in that microwave, too? What a gourmet meal, huh? Why don't you throw, you know, don't just look at your own space, your own food, your own lunch. Look also on the things of others at home, you know, in your neighborhood. Don't just look at your own yard. Just walk across and pick up the paper in his yard. What's the big deal? Nope, there's a brick thing right here. That's his yard. This is mine. Just pick it up. It's okay, you know. Oh, that was part of his decoration? Oh, sorry. No. <laughs> I didn't know that garbage was part of your decoration. No. No, you don't just care about your lawn. Maybe, you know, don't blow all your junk into his yard. How about that? Look on the things of others. And in your church, don't just worry about my seat. Well, oh, you don't have a seat? Come on right here. I'm good to stand anyways. You know, hope we get to that point. Don't just look at somebody else's ministry obligation. Well, your own, that is, but theirs. That's what he's saying. There's a friend I talked to. He used to go to the church, this church here some years ago. And whenever I talk to him, He's very selfless. He's probably got about the same weight of issues that I do as a family and stuff. He's like, so how can I pray for you? So how are you doing? I'm like, man, quit doing that to me. I, 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 don't, mean, I don't mean that, quit doing it. But I just mean like, I, you're really caring, you know, and... It helps me. It helps. It actually encourages me to reciprocate that more if I'm not already. Already. Who do you talk about when you're with somebody? Who do you talk about? Who do you um, ask about? What do you ask? Do you ask about the other person? Well, usually when we, we talk to somebody, you share some interest. It's okay to share something of you. That's okay. You should. Your interests, your likes, your hurts, your struggles, your thinking and logic. But do you look also on their logic, their hurts, their thinking, their interests? That works in marriage, too. Hey, not all of our teens are here today. Teens, did you notice the last teenage visitor that's here? You notice that? Did you get their name? Or are we looking on your own things? Do you know the name of every teenager that comes to this church, teens? You ever said, hey man, what's up? It'd be a good thing to do. How about us as adults? Do you know who hasn't been here the last three months? And would you know why? Look not every man in his own things, but what about the things of others? So Paul's saying, basically what he's saying is, this is a Christ-like mentality. That'd be number six. This whole selflessness is a Christ-like mentality. Look what it says. Let this mind that he's been describing be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Jesus, this is the mentality it took to save me. Who, Jesus Christ, being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, took upon himself, him, the form of a servant, and was made in the likeness of men, 
And being found in fashion of a man, he walked around as a king. Nope. Being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. And then it talks about God's exalting him in the resurrection, the ascension, and a future every knee will bow to him. Being a selfless, having a selfless mentality does not mean destroying of self. I don't eat, I don't drink, I become everybody's doormat. No, it just means less self. And it means I look like Christ, selfless. I appreciate some of you in here are that already. That I get little tokens of that. I see it in you. And I hope this kind of, this message helps affirm that. Some of you I see... Some of you, I get to know that you give anonymously, except for that it's me <laughs> that knows about it, not that you're giving to me. Some of you, you, you uh, share something. Some of you, you, you help in some ways, or you write a note in some ways, and you're not looking at your own issues, you're looking at others. That's good. That's a selfless Christianity. Some of you, you, don't, you, don't, you just come in, you go out, you have no clue who was here or not, barely. You're just looking at your own things. Eh, let's be what Paul says. Again, this mentality, this is the mentality it took to save us. And then the last point is that he says, let. Look at verse 5. Let this. Let is said three times in this passage. Let. It's a passive. Did you think about this? this is think, think about this. This is a passive statement. Allow a selfless nature to take place. Allow a... Uh, others-centered mentality to take place. Let this mentality, let this mind allow this to be in you. And that tells me something. When it says, let this happen, it means it must mean it's already in me of God that knows this is how it should be. It's already in me of God. I know deep inside I'm supposed to be selfless. So let that be. I know deep inside that I'm supposed to not just care about my own thing, but others. So let that be. I know deep inside I shouldn't be fighting and scrapping and that I should esteem others better. So let that be. I know deep inside that I need to be like-minded with my brothers and sisters and just, you know, set aside the little non-essential portions of my agenda and just be unified as a church and what we're going to do and where we're going to go and how we're going to work. I know deep inside that's how. So let it be, Paul. Let that be. Let that happen. Let this mind be in you, he says which was also in Christ Jesus. Selfless Christianity, this is what we need. And this is, I mean, every time I come to a passage in Philippians, like, that's it! That would help my life forever! And that would help my church! And I come, man, that's so good. And I go to the next passage, I'm like, no, it's that one too! Oh, no, wait, it's that one too! And I keep going down the same thing. I'm like, this has been helpful to me. And I hope it's helpful to you. That the Christian life should look like this. It should look like Christ. It should look like a selfless thing. And... That's what we want.